everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Listen now to our surf pastor, Dr. Elliot Higgins. My name is Elliot Higgins, and I am the surf pastor here at Southcliff. Our senior pastor is on vacation again today, but he will be back next week. So if you're our guest, uh, you need to come back. You need to come back and meet him. I know he would love to connect with you as well, but we're just praying that he has a great time away. Some of his staff, not all, are kind of wearing on him. You know what I mean? So he just needs some time alone or out and away from us, and we just delight in that, that he gets that opportunity. Uh, So be praying for him that he has a great time together. Now, today we come and we are continuing in a study um, in Romans. We began this some time ago, and in Romans, we are picking up in chapter 11, where we left off from last week. What we have been walking through is Paul is laying out this concept, and he's bringing us to a special part in this moment in Romans. And he's basically taking us to an elevated position where we're able to look out. Now, I feel as though I love the beach. I love the tropical beach, not the Galveston beach necessarily. I'll live with that. But I love that that turquoise blue water that looks like it's six inches deep, but it's actually 60 feet deep. And I love standing there looking out at that, the sun going down. I mean, a perfect picture, the sun glistening on the waves, just a gorgeous view. If you and I were to stand there on that beach and look out at that beautiful scene, you may not recognize, but we can see about three miles of beauty. Three miles out before the curvature of the earth begins to curve away and we can't see anymore. We've got about a three-mile distance of our view. If I were to take you, mostly probably riding on your back, but if we get somehow to the top of Mount Everest and I were to show you that viewpoint, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world. It's five and a half miles tall. So somehow, some way, we got to the top, and we look out from this mountain in any direction that you like. You are able to see, science will tell you, 211 miles in any direction you turn your head. It's a far cry from us standing there at the beach looking out at three miles. Now we have an elevated position, and we can see from for hundreds of miles. 211 miles, what is that? Well, the distance between Dallas and Houston is about 240. So you're almost able to see the entire span right there. That is a massive vantage point. What Paul does in the passage before us is he is taking us to this pinnacle experience. He's taking us up on this mountaintop feel where we're able to look out for miles and miles and miles. And we're able to get a a final grasp of what he's been talking about for the past several weeks of our time together. Paul has been telling the Jews and the Gentiles, and in the Gentiles, that's us, people who have not been born into the lineage of Abraham. We're not part of that ancestry, but he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and what God is doing through that. Now, the Jews, God has revealed his law. He's revealed himself through prophets. Even Jesus came from the Jews, and he has revealed this concept of salvation and sacrifice and all of these things to restore people to himself. So he's been working through the Jewish nation for thousands of years. 
Then he turns everything upside down as working in the Gentiles. It's not as though he's never done that, but he is, the Gentiles are flourishing. They are coming to know him, putting their faith in him, left and right, by the millions. And Paul is revealing that he's working through all of these instances, and he's picking on the Jews just a little bit to reveal something to us. The Jews are saying, well, look, I was born in this genealogy of God. I was given the law. I am a good person. God God loves me because I am good. I am righteous. It's the things that I do and who I am. God is saying that is absolutely incorrect. I am glad that you're trying to obey me, but you're never going to get there on that alone. You have to have help. That is Jesus, faith in God. So the Gentiles on the outside of that, we've realized, man, I've been outside of that. I don't have that same lineage. I don't have that law. I am a sinner. I just need God's help. And we're able to cling to Jesus in faith that he's taking care of that. So Paul is revealing how God has been working through this defective mindset of the Jews where they have been thinking it's my righteousness, who I am, my godliness that allows me to have favor with God. So he's bringing us now to a mountaintop experience. We've seen this begin to lay out before us, but we're able to look out like that on the top of Mount Everest and we're able to see if you're on Everest the largest mountains in the world, but you're looking down on them. And all these mountains and cliffs and glaciers and snow and trees and rivers and lakes, all that, you begin to see it in a greater perspective from this point. That's what Paul is doing. He wants us to see the purpose of God. He wants us to grasp the very purpose of God. What is it that God is doing? What is the point of all of this stuff? Have you ever asked yourself this question? When you go into your workplace, you go home to whatever drama awaits there, whatever's going on in your life, you ask, what is the purpose of this? Why is this happening to me? Have you heard that question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is that? What is going on? What is God's purpose? This seems so dark, so hopeless. I don't see how anything good will ever come from that. What is God doing? Because we recognize that God is doing something. So Paul wants to take us up on this and look out and we begin to see a different perspective. That 211 miles is much greater than any other viewpoint we would have. Now, I will mention this. Even on the top of Mount Everest, 211 miles of view, you can't see the fullness of the globe. You can't see all that's going on. You just have a better perspective. This passage, we can't see all that God is up to, but boy, we have a much clearer perspective of his purpose, big picture. Now, he's going to reveal to us three key elements for us to grasp God's purposes, This is important for you and I as we walk into our daily life tomorrow, even this afternoon. What is your purpose? When we know what God is trying to accomplish, not trying what he is doing, what he is accomplishing, when we grasp his purpose, it allows us to engage with it so much easier. It gives us a confidence. It gives us a peace. It gives us an understanding of where God is taking us through that. So there's three key things that this text is going to reveal to us for us to grasp the purpose of God, for us to understand how this works in our life. And he's given us a big picture. So we begin Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Let me read this section here, and then we're going to work through it bit by bit so you'll see this begin to develop. 
Paul writes, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Look with me, if you will, back to verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight. First of all, he is addressing the Gentiles. That's us. People outside of this Jewish race, he's saying, I don't want you to be wise. We look at what the Jews did. They've turned to righteousness, self-righteousness. I am a good person. I'm following the laws of God. I'm, I'm doing good things, doing good work. This is what God wants. And, and the Gentiles are saying, well, I've missed the boat. I'm not a good person, but I'm clinging to God in faith. Therefore, I must have greater insight in this. And he's saying, no, I don't want you to feel as though it's something about you. Because the Jews thought the same thing, and you better not do the same either, because it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. So all of this is about God, and he says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So he's taking us up this mountain where we can look off. That word mystery is the only time that it's used in Romans. Everywhere else that Paul uses this word in his writings, he is referencing a truth that we would not know unless God revealed it. It is a mystery. We could not pick this up. We couldn't see it if we're standing on the beach looking out. We have to have a God-sized perspective to be able to see this. So he's saying, I want you to understand this mystery. It has nothing to do with you, everything to do with God. And he begins to reveal what that mystery is. He says in that same verse, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. A partial hardening. Now we recognize that the Jews are saying, I'm a good person, I follow the law, I am achieving righteousness because that's who I am, a righteous person. And, and he's saying, look, because of that, they are in rebellion to God. It isn't a matter of what you do or who you are or where you come from. It's all about God. So God has allowed them to move in this sphere, in this rebellion. He has allowed that for the Gentiles. And he, it's, it's a partial thing, a partial hardening. He's still working amongst the Jews, but he is allowing this concept of grace to spill over the Jewish nation and flood the rest of the world. World. And he says that this fullness of the Gentiles, God is working through the disobedience of people. He is not creating disobedience. He is not tempting them. He is allowing their own choice to be carried out. But by allowing that, God is redeeming every tribe and every tongue and every background of people all over the world. He is pouring out this grace. So he is revealing to us this mystery. What is it that God is doing? Well, he is revealing this, working through this, this partial hardening in order to reveal this grace. It isn't about you. It isn't about your genealogy. It's about God and his grace. And in this way, in verse 26, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's quoting here a scripture. It says, the deliverer will come from Zion. 
the deliverer, not a deliverer, the. This is Jesus is going to come from Zion, the people of God, the place of God, the holy land. He's coming from the Jews. So don't become arrogant on your position as a Gentile. I know God because I have faith in him. The salvation is coming through the Jewish nation. So God is working through the Jews to save the Gentiles and the Gentiles through that there is a redemption coming back to the Jews. Everything that God is doing, this great mystery, he's bringing around what? In verse 27, to take away their sins. All of this play out is for his purpose. Now, what is that? This first key part brings us to that first point. This is key as we focus in on our life and what God has in store for us. The first thing, in order for us to grasp the purpose of God, we have to recognize that his purpose is eternal. His purpose is eternal. God's viewpoint is always into the eternal world. We look at this little spot, the only what I can see, and say, what is this that God is doing? It feels as though, if you were to look at these people on the pages here, it feels as though the people that, that should have the answers don't, and they are openly in rebellion to God, and it feels as though God is turning his back, and salvation cannot be seen, and there is no hope, but the reality is, is God is working even in the darkest of times to bring about this eternal purpose, this allowing them to continue on that. They're going to see their folly, but everyone else does too. God's redeeming those on the outside in order to redeem those on the inside. God's purpose is eternal. When you and I walk into the workplace tomorrow and we walk into our family life and friends and whatever other challenge we, we look at and say, God, what are you doing here? How am I supposed to navigate this? What is your plan through this? Because it sure doesn't look like you have one. We have to recognize that what we see may just be like we're standing on the beach looking out. We have a limited perspective. God's perspective is eternal. He's going to navigate through all of these challenges, all the in engagements of different people, different time, in order to accomplish a bigger picture promise down the road. It is eternal. Do you realize that when you and I die, we go to heaven, of those that have faith in Jesus, when we die, we don't just walk into the gates of heaven and say, I am so happy to be here. The Bible says that we are rulers with Jesus. So we've been given a position of authority. There is much that we are going to be doing. What that looks like, stay tuned, I guess. We'll see what that is when we walk through the gates of heaven. But the one thing that we recognize, everything God is doing in this earth, every detail in your life, every challenge and struggle, everything that you look at and say, all hope is lost, God is doing something with an eternal perspective. He views it necessary for whatever he has in store down the road. So if us to have that perspective of the purpose of God, we have to see the big picture picture. And we have to see from an elevation. And he's saying God has worked through the Jews to save the Gentiles. And through the salvation of the Gentiles, he's going to save the Jews. All of this is thousands of years. God's working out this eternal purpose. We can rest assured, no matter what you've brought in this room, perhaps the reason why God brought you here today is to remind you that he has an eternal purpose for whatever it is that you've brought here. Say, I don't see it, but God sure does. His purpose is always eternal, much bigger than what you can I 
you and I can see. Verse 28, we begin to see this next focal point show up. We see that his purpose is eternal. Now we're going to see something. You're going to see it play out. It's his purpose is to reveal his mercy. I'll repeat that, but you'll see it spill over the pages as we read it. Verse 28, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. That's the Jews. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they will also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, I don't claim to be an eloquent speaker, but it's pretty clear that the concept of mercy is abundantly placed in this text. His purpose is not only eternal, but his purpose is also to display his mercy. Watch how this works. He's saying regarding the gospel, this redemption plan, this whole concept of God, they are enemies for your sake. This is the Jewish nation, the people of God of the Jewish descent. He's saying they are enemies. In other words, they are sinful. They are engaging their sin and embracing their sin. Anytime you and I engage sin, we have turned our back to God, his purpose, his plan, his idea, everything, and we stand opposed to him, making us enemies, not his doing, your doing, my doing, our doing, and we have turned away from him, so we are standing, they're standing as opposition for our sake. We look at that and say, man, there is no way. How good is good enough? How righteous do I have to be? Because they're not living it up enough in order to bring this about. But God is saying that through this, they're enemies for for our sake, but regards to election, they are beloved because of their forefathers. God has promised the people of Israel that I'm going to make you into a great nation. I am going to redeem and restore, and through you, the whole world will come to know me. And so he is working through his people. Though they stand opposed to him, they are beloved. Interesting choice of two words. They are standing opposed to God, but God loves them desperately. He loves them so much that that he is walking with them, even in the midst of their rebellion. In verse 29, it emphasizes this, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. When God makes a promise, he doesn't revoke it. He doesn't push it off. That word um, irrevocable, that is a legal term. It may be a different term in your English translation. Sometimes it's hard for the English word to closely match the original language. But that original language, it's a legal term where you, like that of a contract or something, you bring to a court. The court will not dismiss it or throw it out. This is a sure thing. It cannot be dismissed. God's gifts in his callings. When he said that he's going to work through them, he means it. When God says that he's going to work through you, he means it. When God has called you to step into whatever it is that he's called you to do, you may teach, you may greet, you may be open to hospitality. I don't know how God is using your life, but God has called you to something and he is going to equip you. We can't escape it. Do you recognize that your fingerprint belongs to you? An interesting 
concept, but that fingerprint belongs to you, and God created you with that. No one else. No one else shares your DNA composition, only you. God put you in this world for a very specific purpose, one that you are custom made just for you, for him to work through your life. When we look around at our life and say, Lord, I want to see your purpose. I want to see your power. I want to see these things play out in my life. We have to recognize God created us to see and accomplish his purposes. And we do that by recognizing that it's irreversible. We can't dismiss it. His gifts and callings are irrevocable. He's created you for something, and maybe today he's bringing you here for you to know you can't escape that. If you're looking for that purpose and that meaning, God has it, and he's the only one that does. And we recognize that all of the purposes he's going to play in our life are going to be eternal. They're going to have eternal significance, much bigger than you. And they're also going to be overflowing with mercy. His design of his purposes is to reveal his mercy in you and through you. Keep watching. So these gifts and callings are irrevocable. Verse 30, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. See that word mercy. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. So God is working through their rebellion in order to bring about a mercy for you. And by giving you mercy, they see that and now they receive mercy. Everything that God's doing here is bringing that about. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. That word consigned, that may also be a different word in your English translation. That original word is a military term. It means to surround or bombard, somehow lay siege to. They're, they're surrounded by that. He has surrounded everyone. Everybody has gone their own way. Every one of us, Jew, Gentile alike, we have done what we want to do. We have disobeyed God. We have become disobedient, turned our back, might as well spit in the face of God. But God has worked through that and navigated through that and surrounded us with what? His mercy. This whole thing that God is working through, through the Jews and then the Gentiles, and because of the Gentiles, now the Jews, his sole purpose is to reveal his mercy. God's number one thing in his purposes is eternity. He is always looking at eternity, but he's always looking at revealing his mercy. Do you recognize that there is absolutely nothing that you could have ever done in your life? God has worked through that to get you to a point where he has you surrounded. You cannot escape his mercy. He wants you to know his mercy. There is nothing that keeps you from his mercy except you and that faith in him. And he's saying, I've got you surrounded. There is no escape. I want to show you my mercy. And you may be here today saying, God can't love me. He will not show his mercy. I am too far gone, too far lost. This is why you're here today. Paul took you up to the mountaintop where you can look out and say, I see how God has been working mercy upon mercy of every different generation and tribe and tongue and people group around the world because his purpose is to reveal his mercy. Lord, what is this problem in my life? How in the world do I navigate it? I know you've got an eternal perspective here. I don't see it. 
But what is that eternal perspective? We know that it's to reveal his mercy as well. He intends to work his mercy through that darkest of dark in your life and through that to reveal his mercy to those that are around you. There is no way to escape God's mercy. He has us surrounded that we may know it by putting our faith in Jesus. And today may be the day that you get to taste that the first time. But what we see, he has consigned us to disobedience that we have mercy. His purpose, the grasp God's purpose, it's always eternal and it's always about his mercy. No matter what you're walking through today, these are key things that he's doing through it and because of it. And sometimes we have to see it from a different perspective, from an elevated perspective to see how God is working this out in our time. Verse 33, we continue. This is where it begins to get good, in my opinion. As if God's mercy is not enough, but watch all of this stuff that that he pours out before us. Verse 33, Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches in wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of this the abundance of his riches. Everything God possesses, including his mercy, are bottomless. We cannot exhaust them. It's hard for us to recognize that in our world because everything is exhaustible. Every good thing comes to an end. All of the stuff that you can amass, it, it rusts, it rots. You know the drill. You go to work for a reason. The point being that God's mercy is not exhaustible. God's eternity, it doesn't run out. Everything about God, the depths of these riches, is what his desire and his purpose is to show you. And he continues with this, these riches of wisdom and knowledge. What he's been revealing to us is, number one, those Jews, they have gone astray willfully, turned their back. God has worked through that to redeem us. And he's, the redemption of us is bringing about their redemption as well. He's working all over the globe. The wisdom of God being able to navigate every conversation, every decision of every person on the face of the earth and somehow do this for all of the time frame that we have been alive and that before us for thousands of years, navigating this, people going astray, openly rebelling to God. And now he is navigating that to bring about his eternal purpose and to reveal his mercy. The ability of him to recognize that there's about 8 billion people on the face of the earth right now. How in the world does God work through 8 billion people right now, some going to bed, some going to work, some seated here, and he knows your thoughts and he's working through everything in your life to accomplish his eternal perspective and to reveal his mercy. You and I have a hard time figuring out where we left our car keys last night. But God is working through all of the lives of these people. And Paul is lifting us up to look out to see the breadth of his purpose. We know it's eternal. We know he's showing this mercy. But he continues this knowledge of God. God knows everything. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how to navigate through the lives of 8 billion people at one time as they're talking and thinking and going about their world. Thanks to the all-knowing, pardon the pun, the Google online, if you were to look up the average number of hair on your head, and I apologize for those of you that are follically challenged, but Google will say that there is about 100,000 hair on the average head. Some have more, some obviously have less. My apologies. 100,000 hair on the average person. There are eight 
billion people. And the Bible says that he knows the number of hair on your head. But he knows it for 8 billion people right now. And he knows the moment one hair falls off. He knows that. The knowledge of God. How in the world does that work? He knows, you're welcome OCD friends out there, but he knows the number of dust particles on your ceiling fan at home you haven't dusted in a while. God knows this. Now, why would he know this? Because he knows everything. We only have a limited perspective, and sometimes when we're looking at the challenge of our life and saying, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how there's a hope. I don't see how there's a purpose. I am lonely. I am desperate. I feel isolated. There is no way out. I can't see it. And God says, I know. I am all-knowing. I know all of this. All of the details that you don't even know. I know. The depths of his riches and that of his wisdom and knowledge. It says how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. The word inscrutable, that's an interesting English word. I don't use that on a weekly basis or a yearly basis, but that word inscrutable in that original language, it's like footprints in a snowstorm. It's untraceable. We can't follow this. How, how amazing are his ways that we can't keep up. It's covered. He is working this out. We can't see it. So Paul is showing us this so we can see it from a different perspective. For in verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? How can we ever fathom what God fathoms? How can we look at the problem that we have? Well, we do as planners and as people and say, I don't see how God's working this out, but how can you know the mind of God? He's put us here on Mount Everest looking out. We see this eternal perspective. We see this concept of surrounding us with his mercy. He's wanting to reveal that. And he's working through this in a brilliant way. Who can give him counsel? You and I, we have to have a lot of input. We have to have a lot of training and tuning in to stuff. God doesn't need that. We are his created beings. He created us. How could we ever say to the creator, you don't have a clue. Let me tell you how to do this better. God has a plan for you and a purpose yet. Who has given a gift to him that he may be repaid? This is kind of like I think of my son. He's three and a half years old, little Elijah. I love him to death, but Father's Day is coming. Well, he's going to get me something. So I give him money, my resources, my stuff in order to give me something back. It's my gift. It was always mine. Belongs to me. But this is what it looks like with God. He doesn't want your good works. He doesn't want all of these things that you bring to him. He wants you. He wants to show you his mercy and he wants to work out that eternal plan. And there is nothing that we can bring to him other than just ourselves. There's no gift that he may be repaid. He owns it all. He owns the air that's in your lungs today. And he continues in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From, through, to. From is everything in the past. From that history, everything in the history of the world and the history of your life is, belongs to God. Everything right now, through this moment, and as we walk out the doors, everything that is in your life, God is working through. Everything in the future to him are all things. 
God has been in control from before, from right now, and in the future, and nothing has changed. All things to him be the glory forever. It leads us to that third point. We know that his purpose is eternal. We know that his purpose is to give mercy. His desire and design through all of the things in our life is to reveal his mercy to you and those around you. But we recognize finally with all of the depths of this that his purpose is perfect. He has crossed every T, dotted every I. He knows the hair on your head. He knows everything about it. You know what's interesting to me? Some years ago, there was an email that I received from a friend of mine who's kind of a nerd. And he sent me this link. NASA is, was sending a rover to Mars. And you can put your name on this thing as it goes. They've got a little tag and they'll laser etch your name on it. And I said, shoot, I'll colonize Mars. So my name is rolling around on Mars now. But what's fun is send you email updates every now and then what's going on. And it's one way that I get to see my tax money being used, interestingly. But as I watch this, there's a video. You can look at this online. It's, it's public. But this video allows you to hear the wind on Mars. Do you recognize that God is controlling the wind on other planets that we're never going to be? We may someday, but we're not there. No human being has ever set foot there. And God is working through the weather patterns over there. When it says that all things past, present, and future, they belong to him, that's exactly what it means. And perhaps today God brought you here to remind you of the fact that his purpose for your life is perfect. There is nothing that he's brought into your life, this moment, challenge, heartache, loss, or joy. Everything God has done is for an eternal perspective that he recognizes. And he's got you surrounded with the desire, that eternal purpose, to surround you and pour out his mercy. Not only that you can taste it, but others can watch and they can have it too. His purpose is to reveal his mercy and everything that he does is perfect cannot be said of any one of us. Our plans are not perfect, but God is. I wonder why God brought you here this morning. It may be that you've come here today saying, Lord, I, I long to be a part of this. And God's revealing from that perspective his purpose, eternal mercy and perfection. And he's inviting you on that great journey and you have never tasted it, and today he's saying you can have it. That's the very reason why I brought you to Southcliff today. I don't know who you are, but you'll have an opportunity to respond. God brought you here for that purpose. There's others in the room today, your heart is heavy. There are challenges and struggles that you're looking at. You're wondering, how in the world am I ever gonna overcome this? How do I navigate this? And God's saying, it's eternal. It's bigger than what you're seeing. I plan to pour out my mercy in your life to reveal that with you, but also to reveal it to those that are watching. And my plan and my timing is absolute perfect. Who can get into the mind of God? Who can be his counselor? Today, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna have a song. And I'm gonna ask us to stand in just one moment, but I, I want you to understand this. This is a time in which we do business with God. There are those prayer cards, some brought forward. They're still in your pew. Maybe you didn't bring something forward. You're saying, this is a heaviness in my life. I can't see God's purpose here, but I'm going to give it to him today. You can drop it on the steps and we'll join you in praying. 
Maybe you just need to spend time praying where you are, saying, Lord, I am ready to see this. I long for this mercy. I need to take a breath and relax because I know your, your purpose is perfect. I don't know why you're here, but God does, and you do too. And I'm going to ask that you spend time with the Lord. Now, I'm going to stand down front, and I've got another person that's going to stand down here. If we can pray with you, we want to do that. Whatever it takes to do business with God, but God's purpose is eternal. He wants to show you his mercy and his perfect plan. And today, that's what he invites you to see. Stand with me, if you will, as we worship him and do business with him. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.